Welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast with your hosts, Jamie Monroe and Colleen McGarity. This podcast is dedicated to all things women's lacrosse. We will break down top games of the week, discuss coaching strategies, and lacrosse recruiting. We will even bring in some of the game's top coaches and players as special guests. And now, here are your hosts, Jamie and Colleen. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA lacrosse championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast with Colleen McGarity and our special guest, Devin Wills, head coach at Harvard University. Devin, thanks for jumping on. Colleen, how are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome, Dev. Glad to talk to you during this quarantine. And it's actually been an exciting quarantine. We've had a lot of good guests, so I'm glad that you're yeah, it's hard. You've had yeah. a good life, for sure. <laughs> um, so I'll just, is this your second year at Harvard? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, second well, year. One and a half. <laughs> 1.5, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll kind of start out like offensively and like more culture. I'm really interested in culture of coaches and teams, but um, so I'll start culture. Like what is the main thing you're trying to do at Harvard slash like what would you say your main principles are that you're trying to instill there that are just non-negotiables of like when you came into Harvard and you took over? What were things that like you were like, this is what we're about and this is what I'm trying to change? Well, I think, you know, when I first got to Harvard, we we kind of wanted to feel it out. You know, I think that first year you're definitely feeling the players out, feeling the institution out um, and then kind of trying to put in, you know, the lacrosse pieces, but then obviously the culture pieces. Um, and I think culture is, you know, you're going to be your biggest focus. Um, but this year we kind of spent a little bit more time on kind of dissecting that and and what it means. Um, for me, a big thing is you have to know who you are and you have to know like your own personal philosophy. And, you know, I need to know that myself as a coach, um, you know, and how can I sum that up? And, uh, there's, you know, Pete Carroll is a coach that, you know, I, I really respect from the Seahawks who had a major influence when I was at USC and he works a lot with Michael Gervais and, they've kind of done um, a lot of work with, can you define your personal philosophy in 25 words or less? So, you know, I kind of took that and, you know, ever since I've kind of 
heard that original speech and it was you know several years ago now I've kind of tried to really think about my own personal philosophy and could I define it in 25 words or less and so this year you know we gave the players and gave the team you know this is the Harvard you know the crimson way that we want to live by and everybody needs to know it and then we kind of gave that to them in the fall and then by the spring we said we want you guys to redefine this as something for you and sculpt it in something that you guys could define this team in 25 words or less so for me you know we're trying to put in stuff you know whether it's concepts or philosophies you know from ourselves and our own core values and what what's really important to us but it's also so important that the players buy into that and that they have a say in kind of what they want to be known as and what their core values are so that it's something that we all can kind of move forward with. So that's been something that we really worked forward or worked on this year. And for us, it's an ongoing conversation, you know, whether we establish something this spring, whether that carries on next spring, it might change, but kind of those core values need to always be there. And those are the things that we always need to, to live by. So you know, Pete Carroll's is pretty simple. It's like always compete, done, <laughs> you know, two words. Um, and so it takes a long time to kind of fine tune that and get it down. So, you know, we're still working on it. We're still figuring it out, you know, both as a group and individually. And, um, you know, I think that's going to be something that we kind of revisit every year. Nice. I love that. I just like love culture things. And I like Pete Carroll a lot. I think he came to visit Northwestern and spoke to us when I was a junior as well. And I think Lindsay, or when I, maybe I was younger and Lindsay was the coach there, but um, yeah. So going on to that, what were some of the things that you brought like immediately onto the field? So like always compete, you said, is what Pete Carroll's is, is like something that, you know, when you get on the, is the tempo of practice or is it like the way they, you know, hold themselves or what was something that you were like, this is, you know, when we're competing and we're at practice, we need to be this way. Yeah, I think it, it's kind of bring the best version of yourself each day, and that might change. You know, I think we all have to understand that at Harvard and at any college, really, these athletes are under incredible amounts of stress, whether it's from their academics or social life. You know, they're trying to juggle everything. They're trying to figure themselves out. It's a major growth time um, as, a, as a person. So, you know, some days you can only bring, you know, what you, you typically would bring as like an 80%, you know, you have to bring whatever you can. And for me, it's, you know, just bring that best version of yourself each day and, and be present as opposed to, you know, thinking about the paper that you have to write, you know, later tonight, it, it, you know, it's there, it's always going to be there, but you're at practice, be at practice. And, you know, if you're stressed, you know, just bring whatever you can control to practice. So that's something that we've kind of tried to, to touch a lot on. And then also just the values of hard work. You know, I think it's really important that, you know, the same amount of energy that they put into their academics, that they put into their social lives, that they also kind of bring that same energy and, and put it onto the field. Um, so again, it's just kind of putting in that balance of, you know, working hard, but also like how, what's the best version that you can bring of yourself each day. That's great. I'd imagine it was somewhere like an Ivy League, like Harvard, that going on the field should be their outlet. Like they're so stressed or they've got so much going on and, you know, you want them to walk on the field and it'd be like a fun, enjoyable experience to release rather than be more stressed. Right. And I think that's like our charge as coaches is to help them bring that best version of themselves out. Um, but, you know, at the same time, there's still, you know, that mentality that they want to be the best in the classroom 
they still bring that mentality to, to lacrosse. So even though it should be that outlet, they, they still put that pressure on themselves. They still want to do great and they, they have expectations of themselves and they don't want to let you down. So again, it's, it's kind of helping them find that balance of pushing them to be better, but also, you know, helping them see like all the good that they're already doing. That's great. And moving uh, on to like, do you have anything to add on culture, Jamie? Yeah. It reminds me of the last dance when they were describing Michael Jordan as his greatest strength was his ability to be present. And I, I thought that was so interesting. And you're kind of touching on that a little bit. Yeah. And I think as an athlete, it's one of the hardest things to do. You know, I think it's, you've always got a little, you know, thought of failure in your mind or, you know, a past mistake. And it's kind of that ability to move forward and, and block all that out or block out things that are going on, you know, outside of your sport. It's, it's, it's probably the hardest part of sport, to be honest. Like physically, you can always push yourself. Mentally, it's really hard to, to challenge yourself and kind of step out of that comfort zone and put yourself in like an emotional, uncomfortable position. So, um, you know, that's a hard thing to practice. So if you can manage it in real time, you know, you probably are a pretty good competitor. It's really hard. I think it's hard as a coach, too. I mean, I think like it's just difficult to be present when you've got things on your mind. And if you're highly motivated, you're just thinking about the next task and you're thinking about the next thing I want to work on and I want to get better. And you find sometimes athletes are like, well, I can't wait for the summer because I'm going to like be able to work on this. But it's like, hey, but it's April. We're, we're in the stretch right. run right now. You know, it's like right. time to win now. Um, so it's just it was interesting. That's I all. love it too for right now because I think so many kids are like thinking about when like July like all right I can't wait to get on the field in July or I can't wait to get there in August and Jamie and I constantly talk about like what about now like what are you doing right now like be present to get better in some way shape or form and it might be completely different than you're used to so just be your best self at home be your best self like in your mind thinking about lacrosse or watching film or doing something to get better and I think it's so it's so much easier said than done, but being present is just like I think people say it all the time. It's so hard. Like right. yeah. think, what are you doing next? Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, everybody right now is kinda like, Oh, I'm gonna put this work into that when July comes, like I'll be ready. And you know, I think it's just I'm gonna put the work in now to just get better. You know, I think everybody's always saying, like, Oh yeah, I'll work on a you know, weekend later or like I'll put I'll work on it like at camp and right it is you know right now it is the time you know you have nothing else to do go out there and, and get it done and this, I drive around you know my neighborhood and I like see all these kids out you know on their bounce backs or whatever and my god if I only had a, a coronavirus to keep me inside I could have gotten so much better when I was in high school you know like I could have really used this time so you know hopefully everybody out there is using it to their advantage I agree. I was like, oh, you're just getting so much time to work on those reps. Form. Like, you're like, oh, I don't have time to do that. Now you have right. so much time to do it. <laughs> but jealous of their opportunity. <laughs> That's great. Well, heading on to like some more X's and O's on in like Harvard, you know, coaching philosophy and offense. What is your guys' go-to style of um offense do you do a lot of two-man game you know are you feeding from behind a lot dodging from behind a little bit of everything depends on what you have what's your guys kind of motion 
Yeah, I think, you know, it's varied in the two years I've been at Harvard. Um, last year, we did a lot of, you know, plays, like very, very set plays. And, um, you know, I just felt like that wasn't the way to go this year. Um, and, you know, we work with our athletes. We, we ask them, what do you like and what don't you like? And so this year we moved to much more motion um, with a lot more, op- you know, options. You know, obviously motions provide you that. So, we did have some two-man focus in there, some some three-man options down low. Um, having Kenzie Kent on staff was incredible. So, you know, she could provide a perspective from behind the cage, which, to be honest, I was really unfamiliar with. Um, you know, I'm used to trying to stop it or, like, intercept it. So having Kenzie, it was great because she could kind of look at that and see the, the field kind of going up from behind and, and give us a whole new perspective down there. So... Um, that was something that we really focused on this year was kind of initiating more offense from behind, um, and seeing what that could then open up for us up top. So we were pretty much motion, um, based this year. We went against a lot of zones. So I felt like, you know, motions were kind of the things that were more successful against the zone. Um, and then we did have a couple set plays, but again, you know, being an Ivy school, we don't have that much time in preseason to prep, you know, putting in. 20 to 30 plays isn't going to be successful because it's just too much overload on their mental state to, you know, perform and it takes too long to get in spots and set up. So we just figured this year, you know, like, let's let them play a little bit. Let's, you know, encourage that creativity and freelance. Um, and then let's have a set play here or there when we need it. But, you know, let's, let's see what they do and let's put some trust in the players a little bit more. Great. James, do you have a couple? I don't sure. want to take off questions. Um, so how do you, um, teach your two man games and where do you kind of do it? Um, you know, we kind of try to do them, you know, all over, whether it's on the elbows or the middle, or even like with a high and a low person, it was kind of more based off of what we were going against. Um, I would say, so if it was like a a pure zone, you know, we might've set them up kind of more in the middle to kind of like stretch out those high kids. Um, if it was one of those defenses that kind of had one kid picking up cutters, we kind of try to run like a two man on the elbow, but incorporate one of the kids from down low, you know, whether it's like a movement from them. So, um, you know, we kind of focused mainly probably on the elbows, I would say. Um, but then, you know, we kind of found the opportunity to use to like do that also down like behind the cage, um, just kind of with how they were going to play the cutters up top and, and whatnot. So, um, you know, we kind of just encouraged them to look for it wherever it was. I would say, you know, we practiced it a lot in the fall, kind of knowing that was going to be something we were most likely going to incorporate um, and just try to figure out who worked well with each other, who was like a good cutter, who was a good feeder, who needed to dodge to kind of initiate things. So um, we did a ton of that, you know, in the fall, whether we said, okay, this, you know, this drill, you're not allowed to set a pick. It has to be a screen. Or the next time it was, you have to use the pick or, um, you know, you couldn't score from a feed. It had to be off the dodge and had to work and get each other open. So we kind of put little rules in to try to show them um, what might be open based off of how the defense is playing you. Awesome. Love it. Do you have enough lefties? (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly. (laughs) One in two years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, then we have another, we have two coming in this year, so. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Makes such a difference in the world having 
such a yeah. Yeah, we've made it a rule that there must be at least one every year coming. I apologize to my one girl on my high school team. I was like, you're not a lefty, but you're going to play lefty. And one day you'll thank me because your college coach will be very happy that you did. Yeah, we had one girl that we, she was, she writes lefty and does everything else lefty, but then she plays across righty. It was like, no, don't. <laughs> now a lefty. <laughs> writing the other day, so yeah, yeah. I went to class with her once, and I was like, "Hey, you write with your left hand? This is a whole new situation now." <laughs> she comes to practice later. She's on a whole different side. Oh yeah, she was totally. That's great. Um, I, I have a couple more, questions. Oh, do you want? I, I have one more to follow up on the, on the two man. If it's all right. Um, yeah. what? How do you teach off ball two man versus on ball two man? It, how, how similar is it and what are the sort of the common denominators? We try to talk to them a little bit about like how they have to think like they're magnets. Um, so as somebody's coming towards them, they need to kind of go in, but you know, also defining like you can't get into somebody else's space. You know, I think holding space and kind of thinking of the field as in quadrants is really important. So as a two man is happening in one quadrant, if you're at the adjacent quadrant, you need to move, but you need to time it to open up that space for them. So, you know, we talk a lot about making sure that you're always open um, and maintaining like the ability to catch and just shoot. So if somebody's dodging towards you, you know, you need to cut in, not necessarily across the cage and you need to make sure that you're open and, you know, like staying mirror to that dodger in case your defender jumps, you can now just flash and catch and shoot and put it away. So we talk a lot about, you know, that off ball movement. Um, you know, I think that's where like the women's game, it's different than the men that we have seven people. So the six, so like everything's so much more crowded. So that off ball movement is, you know, really, really critical. So, you know, if the ball's low, we talk about kind of, you know, that movement of going through and kind of sending a cutter off, but again, kind of staying in your quadrant rather than infringing on somebody else's space. Cool. Thank you. I love that um, part about being open where I think high school girls struggle, you know, when they do move off ball or they are cutting through, they're always just they're either they do like an extra complete like 180 turn or they yeah. like you know what I mean they'll like turn two times or like curl, right. curl cut the complete wrong way I'm like how how is that even comfortable like just go right. natural way to catch and shoot so it's and I know Jamie you work on that like a lot I'm just like that wind up and just catching and being in a position to draw shooting space I'm like guys our refs are rarely very good Right. You're just call shooting space all the time, you know, right. so just if you can at least look like you're shooting, you're probably going to get it. Right. And I think some of that, that like movement and always like kind of staying square to the Dodger or open to the Dodger, it, you know, you have to be comfortable catching with both hands. You yeah. know, you can't be square and asking with, you know, you're the wrong hand up. Otherwise like you're going to get clobbered by the sliding defense. Mm-hmm. So our shooting space isn't even going to be an option. For sure. That's great. Um, I does Kenzie have any, like, she's so shifty and fun to watch. Like what were her go-to offensive like drills that she liked to do from behind? Was there anything like super creative? Like we've had, you know, Kayla trainer on here as well. And just like to hear just, you know, they probably think and envision the offense in such a creative mind. I would love yeah. to hear if there's any cool drills or anything. She talked about. Yeah, I would say like she probably has similar drills to Kayla. You know, I think we did, she did a lot of like um, three man and like two man opportunities where 
you know, it's either like a, a dodge to a curl back from a cut inside or, um, you know, kind of how you dodge on somebody, whether it's like you pull them off and then you kind of roll underneath or, you know, she does so many like rockers and, you know, fake rockers and all that kind of stuff. So um, I thought that was always really helpful. She always was great about like how to position your hands on your stick and kind of get it away from the defender, but also still be in a feeding position. So she would do a lot of drills where it was like dodging, you know, hard at the crease and then kind of a back pedal out and getting your stick up ready to feed and then going again. And, um, you know, I think part of it was just kind of her trying to help our, our attackers down low be more of a feeding look instead of just a, a dodge. Um, you know, cause I felt like it, previous year we didn't really have too many dodges or feeds from behind. So I think Kenzie just kind of like took on everything. <laughs> um, but you know, something about Kenzie, she's just so athletic. It comes to a natural tour that I was like, wait, Kenzie, what you just did there, like, can you break that down and do a drill? <laughs> you know? So, uh, she, you know, I think she brought a lot of confidence, uh, for those low attackers and, um, like really established a good rapport with them and put a ton of time in with them. But, you know, I think she just is kind of trying to show them you can be creative, you can hold on to the ball longer down there. I think they were kind of just so used to just like catching it and throwing it back high that, you know, she made a real emphasis on like, take your time, be creative, you know, see what you have, hold on to the ball because somebody's going to be looking at you at some point and then that's when the cutter opens. So, um, you know, I think some of the stick work and some of the, the drills that she does is probably similar to what Kayla <laughs> did because you know they had a yeah. pretty close bond for sure definitely no I think they do such a great job of me and Jamie talk about it a lot of being playing fast but slow like mm -hmm. having the ability to be like fast with your hands and quick but also slowing it down you yeah. know a lot of those high school girls are just very like I need to force this pass in or I need to like take this shot that's such a bad angle but I just right. need to get off really fast so you know, being able to get the shot off fast, but doing it, you know, the proper time or right. you know, re-dodging and all that stuff. That's great. Jamie, anything else? Awesome yeah. That's such a good segue into what Colleen's talking about as far as slowing down and reading the play. You know, kids grow up speed, 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 and it's great, except for the fact that, like you said, there's seven players out there on defense that you're going to run into and your own players. Um, how do you teach players to slow down and see the field and attack gaps um, and attack when when the defense is in the middle of maybe recovering back to their man on a redodge and stuff like that? Well, I think part of it is, you know, they have to have the stick work and the poise to protect their stick um, so that they can kind of look up and see the field. But I think there is that, you know, you it's kind of like an untaught, Part of you know going fast and slow than fast and slow and um that doesn't mean like you're less urgent when you're slowing down you're still looking you're still seeing your options you're still surveying what you know is in front of you but also what your own defender is doing um but then I think it's you know now that art of okay well I can go quick because I've created a, a hole as I was looking so for us you know we kind of do you know just build up things where you're again putting rules into the drill whether it's okay you have to feed but you have to dodge first in order to feed you know like kind of putting in little rules inside of drills and um you know I think that kind of helps them or you know even some of those like very like all this stuff just stems from very basic 
drills, whether it's having somebody put pressure on you and you're doing the protection drill and the one, two, three, you know, have somebody hold up numbers and you have to call out with what they're holding up, you know, it just kind of teaches you to look through your defender, you know, and that kind of goes in every drill you do, like one V ones, you have to see what your defender is doing to you in order to dodge, you know, and how to mess them up. So, you know, I think that's where the awareness piece is, is something that you're always going to have to kind of teach kids. Cause it, I don't think it's taught all that often at the youth level. Yeah. So when they get to college, you, you do have to teach them, Hey, like see what your defender's doing before you go. Like, you, you know, your plan is not always going to be right there. So see what's happening go hard, then have the poise to step back and take a breath, you know, and then move the ball as you need to. So. Yeah. And you can't really teach the art. You have to almost right. learn. Right. And that's where, you know, film comes in or, you know, just stopping the play as you can. You know, I think everybody kind of approaches the fall differently, but we kind of try to use it to really break things down offensively and defensively. And, you know, I think at times people probably feel like they're getting worse in the fall because it's like, no, 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 you know, see, did you see that? And, you know, I think, um, you know, hopefully this situation all clears up that we all have a fall. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that's where, you know, those teaching moments are so important. And, you know, that's our main job as coaches, really. I love that too. And I think like the, but as a player, they need to understand that the more you talk to them, they should be pumped about. It's like, no, no, no. Tell me what I was doing wrong. Right. Like my junior, senior year, you're like, please keep correcting me. Like, right. Right. You know, when you're a freshman, you're like, I got corrected so many times. Yeah. And they feel like that's a good thing. Like they right. want you to get better. Right. Um, now moving on to the better end of the, um, <laughs> field. <laughs> um, defense. So what did you, what's your guys go to? Are you guys man zone both? Um, kind of what are you guys doing over there at Harvard? What's your yeah, we did, uh, we did a little bit of both this year. Um, but primarily zone, you know, I think we, you know, had not a ton of subs in the midfield. So we kind of, um, you know, felt like we doing a zone would provide like the most rest and, um, you know, it just kind of fit our personnel better. So, um, yeah, we did a zone this year and, you know, it was kind of the same zone we did last year. So I think everybody was pretty comfortable with it. And, you know, I always feel like with a zone, maybe more so than a man, like the more you play it, the more comfortable you are, the better you are at it. Um, which, you know, sounds pretty obvious, but, you know, I felt like we kind of really see that this year and, um, you know, we moved some people around from different places from our year before and, um, you know, I think that there's places in a zone that you can be aggressive um, and, you know, also kind of highlight that patience a little bit. So, um, you know, we were pretty pleased with it. It was unfortunate that we had to kind of cut our season short there. But um, so, yeah, we, we kind of try to see every year what, what we have in terms of personnel and then make a decision. And is your zone, um, it sounds like it's more like a little bit tight or is it full pressure zone like Syracuse's or is it? You're playing behind, you know, or is it kind of a mixture? No, ours is kind of more sunk. Um, so it, it's, you know, the four, like a four, one, two, and the one inside is kind of in charge of who's cutting and that kind of stuff. But up top, it's pretty sunken, um, more focused on like passing lanes and kind of avoiding any 1v1 dodges. And then behind is kind of where we pick up our pressure a little bit um, and, you know, either send a double or just kind of put one kid going out and pressuring like crazy 
um, you know, it, it kind of changed game to game based off of, you know, who we were playing and who, what personal they put behind as to kind of like what our pressure was going to be behind. Right. That's great. Jamie, question on that? Yeah. If you, um, I was just curious. So if you double behind and they throw out of it, um, who makes that next rotation? Is it the Rover in there or is it a rotation from down from the elbow or how do you guys do that? Uh, yeah, it would just be like the elbow person kind of shifting up. Um, it kind of just depends on where, like the, where they run away from the double, to be honest, and how far away from the double, like how far away from the cage they start to run kind of pushes who moves where and, you know, kind of who's the next most important threat. Because the whole point is, you know, you, we're not trying to take, you know, we're not trying to mark everybody, but we're trying to mark the people who are the most threatening. So, right. um, you know, the Your middle player doesn't usually rotate to the ball ever. That was basically the question. Um, sometimes they do, but very, very rarely. Got it. And then how do you guys help out top? Is it, is it adjacent help? Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of depending on the forces that we were doing, sometimes we would force out, sometimes we would force weak. Um, you know, if there was somebody that was a feeder that was high, we'd probably pressure them pretty hard. And then kind of the zone behind them collapses and pinches. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, a feeder still a feeder, even when they're getting pressured. So you still have to kind of mark those guys inside. Um, you know, you're probably worried a little bit less about them dodging. Um, so, you know, you can kind of trust that person on ball to, to pressure and be fine. Um, cause I still think, you know, people have tendencies for a reason and, you know, there's no need to be worried about 1v1 when the feeder has a ball. Um, last question is on your communication. Can you describe some of the basics of the communication that you'll teach? Like, I don't know if your, if your player is cutting that you might, you know, follow that cutter in and then pass her off to the Rover on the inside. Is there specific communications with like the, the, the help, the cuts, and then the backside people talking inside that you can share with us yeah i mean our our communication is pretty simple um because you know sometimes i almost feel like more communication actually messes you up so we try to just have it be like a, a casual conversation um you know our goalie is pretty much the only one calling where the ball is and she's only really doing it for the rover everybody else needs to know probably where the ball is because you should be looking at it in a zone um so yeah, it's, you know, we kind of put people in spots almost based off of chemistry and how they talk to each other. So, you know, our, our crease kids, you know, are, are going to talk to each other. They're going to have to have a, a pretty close bond. Um, you know, on the backside, um, you know, if, if like an elbow has to go in, you know, they're not always dropping to a rover, you know, they might have to drop to the crease kid. So that might be the crease saying, Hey, you know, so-and-so I got her, you're good. Um, or if the middles have to step in to mark somebody, um, you know, I think that's a big one is sometimes the middles almost have to pass to the crease kids, which is kind of bizarre. So again, we try to make it more like names and simple communication as opposed to like ball location or which way to force, you know, like at this level, you know, which way to force, you know, it's on your scouting report. So it's, uh, more like just a, a conversation and it's more about listening than anything else. Cool. Thank you. I love that. I mean, I think the over communication happens all the time. I think sometimes I find when you like you play in club games or high school games, you find the girl that's just like saying a million things like, you know what I mean? Like just no one's listening to you anymore because you haven't stopped talking. Right. Like, 
So the simple communication is so important and everyone needs to be on the same page. So I bet like, do you guys do drills where, you know, only one person can speak or, you know, I guess probably you might do it where just the goalie's talking or, you know, I think. Yeah, yeah we, we do that. Um, we kind of do that almost like we'll do that even when we're practicing our man. Um, Cause obviously like when you're with the man, like now you're, still talking probably the person next to you, but that person's going to constantly be changing. Um, so we'll do that. You know, I think it gets the point across pretty quickly how important communication is, but also how important listening is when you do something like that. Um, but also I think like tone is also huge. You know, like we've had a lot of conversations with our goalie about that. You know, like she doesn't need to sound like it's a panic every time she's telling defense like where the ball is. <laughs> like the time to panic is when the ball is being like, thrown in or somebody fell down and now the girl's dodging like that's a time for your tone to sound a little bit scary um otherwise again it should just be like this is where the ball is everything's good you know that kind of stuff um and I think even when you're in a man like the goalie you know how you reassure your defenders is huge you know like if they're in a 1v1 and they've got the girl where they need to be you should tell them like you're good stay keep her there you're fine you know, I think sometimes like the, as they get closer and closer to the cage, people get like more and more frantic. And, you know, I definitely was a victim of that. Like, and, you know, I think as I got older, I kind of was like, the more I talk, the less I save the ball. So I'm just going to kind of like relax a little bit. That's great. I mean, that's yeah. such a good point. I, and I talk about tone all the time with my girls, but I think like the less is better. And I love the point about like frantic though. I'm like, yeah, they're going to react a different way when your voice is like in a panic mode. Right. Even if you're panicking, it's not really a panic time. Then they're going to react the same, you know, or they might not stop reacting if it's a real panic. Right. Or they just drown you out. You know, if you're yeah. always panicked, they're probably just, that they think that's your normal yeah. tone and they're just over it at a certain point. <laughs> so. right. I had to talk in my high school going, I'm like, also, every time you get scored on, it was like quick to tell everyone what to do. I'm like, I'll handle that. Oh yeah. 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 Don't step <laughs> on, don't the- even do it. <laughs> the ball, Just say it's my fault and exactly. let the coaches do their job. Right. Oh, yeah. Crazy. But no, I love, I mean, the communication is huge and tone is everything. And I was like, I had one girl, I was like, you mean so well, but just the way you say it is just coming across so badly. Right. That's so, a crazy phrase. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Huge. Awesome. Jamie, you have anything else on defense? Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about transition defense, but you usually get into that with your next question on transition and two-way stuff. So maybe. Yeah, that's, I mean, just going off of that, it sounded like you guys were a little thin on subs or you wanted to preserve their energy with your you know, answer on your zone. But did you have a bunch of two-way middies? Did you play um a middies d middies what did you have or you hope to have one day what's your goal in the midfield like you know subbing situation I think um you know it would be great to have three that you could go straight um I almost though sometimes like always think like are we better off having you know two pyramids and then having like a fifth you know whether pure defender or pure attacker makes us stronger and I always almost like, regardless of how good the middies are, I always feel like there's always like a fifth player that's a straight defender or straight attacker that is just better, like coming in, you know, and, you know, not to detract anything from the middies, but like, 
you know, you've got that kid who's in practice just doing offensive or just doing defensive reps. And um, so sometimes I feel like, you know, that person, you know, not taking anything away from the midfield, like you're not losing anything by running one of the box and putting an A midi or a D midi out. Um, two, I think gets a little tricky for sure. Um, but, you know, I think even with running one of the box, like you can still run a pretty efficient ride. Um, you can still be pretty aggressive in how you do it. Um, but I, I just think that sometimes, you know, yes, it would be great to have three straight, but I wouldn't want to lose like the aggressiveness that maybe a fifth pure attacker, pure defender might add. Um, sure. So, you know, we ran two pyramids and then one amity and one demity, but those two were in a pretty tight rotation with like another one pyramid fielder. So like the subbing was rough. So like four at our, our Colorado game, and that altitude, it got him. <laughs> right? Oh, it's tough yeah. to play out there. I know, and I'm always like, you guys, it's not that bad. I grew up here, I it's fine. But even this year, I was like, oh, I feel it. <laughs> it is crazy. I think you feel it more when you come out of Colorado and you go play at sea level, though. You're like, holy crap, I'm so fit. Like, I yeah, for days. Yeah. But no, it is tough, especially when you're not playing as many middies to give them a break. You can see it right. in the second half. Yeah, we saw it in the first half. <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting, though. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard with how fast paced the game is to even have those straight middies play for as long as you know they did. You know, you look at the Marylands of the world that don't. I'm just right. shocked at some of those kids that can run for days. Like at Northwestern, we had three lines. Like right. we went through them all. Like the one, the first line obviously played more, but you know, it was just like, you need to give them a break. And I think that's where your point is like, all right, get those fresh legs of that fifth pure defender or that fifth pure attacker. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, they can come in with, this is the play or this is the defense or, you know, this is what's going on. And it, you know, I've always felt like, you know, it was, helpful to have that person um and again like you know sometimes it's like you need a dodger from up top and those middies just might be gassed or you know they're trying to conserve or you know you need that extra markup defender up top um so you know it just kind of varies you know obviously lines of three would be great um but you know i just for us you know every year even when i was at usc like it just always felt like there, we had a core of five that was always pretty solid at least defensively yeah. yeah. And also you need the specialization really helps too, because you're going to face a lot of different defenses, right? You're going right. to be facing zone and not all of your totally athletic get up and down middies are great against zone. Right. right. And yeah. they're, they're better against man dodging, which is why everyone's running zone, you know, and it right. makes it a little bit harder. Um, and I wanted to share with you guys something that I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Frank Federaca, the head men's coach at Bucknell. They got one of the best riding teams in the country every single year and he's like jamie we never run two-way middies ever and we leave two players on to ride every time and and so he's like he basically says it takes six seconds to run a d midi out and get another midi on he's like if you want to attack us and that's six against five uh, we're going to take our chances because the best units in the in the, in the nation are at 50 percent with 45 seconds and if we were just going to look at the analytics of regular defense, it's at like 33%. And so we, if you want to go ahead and rush a shot, go for it. 
He's like, basically in our conference, nobody does that. So I was thinking about this in women's lacrosse where the midline is not the midline. You don't have to run to the midline. You just got to run to a restraining line. And if you're a pretty good zone team, you might be able to sub people out so easily and play seven V six. I bet you the, the, the analytics would be interesting. I was just curious what your thoughts were on that. I was psyched to ask you about this. Yeah, I think, you know, even though you're only running to like the restraining line, like you're not probably going to be subbing one of those like people that are behind the restraining line over as part of your ride. I mean, you could, but then like you're shifting everybody backwards, um, which again is totally possible. It probably depends on like how comfortable your goalie is being a part of that ride or how like fast those line defenders are going to be. Um, you know, we pretty much typically said like that fifth attacker is on during the ride and holding and riding, you know, as a midi until they can get off the field, you know, so if the ball goes to the other side of the field, great, they can just step off and we can put, you know, the D midi on, or if it comes to their side, great, they're in a double or they're in, you know, a pressure situation. So, you know, just because they're that fifth spot doesn't mean that they don't have to ride they just have to ride with a different kind of mentality right. you know your attackers are the ones that are doing the heavy part of the the ride you know great you know your job is to hold space and to shift and let them do that work but um you know i think in terms of the zone you have to continue to pressure the ball in order to let people get to their spots you know wherever that's going to be if you just kind of concede and drop everybody in, now you're letting them move the ball around and ping it around. And if you're in a 7v6 or 6v5 situation, you know, everybody knows you beat a zone by moving the ball quickly and changing, you know, different points of attack. So, you know, if you just concede and drop in, you're probably going to give up some of those fast break goals just because, you know, you can't cover all those different cutters or mm -hmm. it depends on who's not in. Like if your rover is not in and nobody knows that, and you're just letting cutters go, you know, it's a pretty quick way to give up a goal. For so, sure. But um, uh, just to, let me uh, rephrase because what I was saying though is if you end up with Omidy's back on D, mm -hmm. what, what he does is he subs them out over the midline after the defense, the, after the offense, the other team has cleared the ball and now they're going to run their offense. Instead of being stuck in there with personnel on defense that you don't want in there, what was interesting is he just runs them off and, and says, go ahead. If you want to attack me in that six seconds, that's men's across where you got to run from maybe 10 yards all the way to the midline. Whereas in women's across, you're running to the 30. And so I, that was the, the interesting thing that they did is just, Hey, play who you want. Um, you can probably withstand four seconds of seven V six. Once you, once you've got your Rover in, you know what you want, you can put your, player were you know up top and they you can run them off and that that was what I thought was kind of interesting yeah it is definitely interesting um like Virginia Tech they run a zone where they do have a kid that like pressures like crazy and when she gets tired she just jumps over the line and they send somebody else in so you know conceptually I think that it's part That's of right. it, it probably depends on like your pressure mm -hmm. um but you know still even if you've got everybody set, like if you've got three up top, like we found those are pretty big holes, you know, for dodging. So it, it, I think it probably depends too on like who you're sure. um, playing against, but I mean, it's not a bad idea. I also think like with shooting space being a thing, you know, it's that the men don't have to deal with, you know, sometimes, you know, that dodge and everybody collapses to just like, you know, flip pass behind you, like you're going to get that call. So you know, it depends. Yeah. I think it's not a bad idea. Um, again, Virginia Tech does something similar. Yeah, that's but, right. I've heard that. Um, you know, I think, you know, it just kind of depends on what you're going against a little bit. 
for sure. That was my last transition question, Jamie, if you have any more questions in the midfield. No. Yeah, we usually end with kind of just, especially during this time, some like advice for the kids. We kind of chatted about it earlier, but I'm sure it's just going to be just get better at home and enjoy this time. But, you know, the high schoolers freaking out what to do, you know, summer is unknown. Anything you recommend just to work on or what they should be doing for this time? Yeah, you know, I think right now it's maybe it is that time that you can kind of train yourself for like the emotional uncomfortableness of not knowing and just really focusing on what you can control. Um, and, you know, like I said, figuring out what your own personal philosophy can start even as a high schooler, you know, like what are your values? You know, do you value hard work? Do you value competitiveness? You know, it doesn't necessarily just need to be athletic. You know, it could be, do you value your family and, you know, how you want to put that forward, you know, like in the forefront of your actions and your decisions and, and everything. So, you know, I think it's a good time, especially now that school is kind of winding up or wrapping up for some kids to, to really think about, you know, who they are and, and who they want to be on the field and off the field and what they want to stand for. Cause you know, that's part of the decision-making as a coach when you're recruiting is, you know, what kind of kid you're bringing in and are they going to fit into your team culture? So, you know, some of that is stuff, you know, yeah, it's great to get out and do the tactical stuff and work on the physical, but that's almost easy at times. You know, it's, it's easier to put yourself in a physically uncomfortable position than an emotionally uncomfortable position. So, you know, right now all of us are kind of worried and anxious and trying to figure out what to do next. And, you know, I think it's a good time to kind of reflect on, you know, who we are and, um, you know, kind of take that as a growing process, I guess. I love that. And I, I also, I agree. And I was like, some of my parents are like my daughters, like, you know, doesn't want to go outside or doesn't want to do this. I'm like, that's part of figuring out your like competitor though, like competitors and those that want to play at the next level should be motivated all the time. You know what I mean? Or have that sense of like motivation to get outside and do it for your own, like love of the game and to get better yourself. So I think such a good point is to really take a deep look, especially those high schoolers that are thinking about playing at the next level. Like, is this something you purely enjoy and want to do every day? Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. James, anything else? Um, yeah. The timeline is, is pretty wacky given the fact that, you know, there's a dead period through June. So at best college coaches are going to be able to watch the month of July and maybe into August if things change, but you could totally see it being a wash. Right. Um, so what does that do to the recruiting timeline? seems like it's going to have to just back it up significantly. Yeah. And I think people forget that this is like how recruiting used to be was, it was like a lot slower and things went into senior year and yep. football still goes into senior year for the most part. So, you know, it's, it's doable. It's been done. Everything will be okay. Um, but, you know, I get it. There's a new norm in recruiting. Now there's another new norm in, you know, how how the timeline is going to look, at least for a year, you know, 18 months or whatever it's going to be. Um, but, you know, I, I'd say that, you know, again, you can't control it. I think it's frustrating for all of us as coaches, as, as you know, recruits, but it is what it is. And we all just kind of have to adapt and just kind of wait for the news to break on what we're allowed to do. Yeah, yeah, it's an opportunity to get better. Yeah. Control what you can control. We're exactly. going to be fine. <laughs> We're going to be fine. <laughs> Love it. Well, great having you on here. I learned a lot. Love chatting lax with you. You Love too. You. Yeah, you too, guys. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks, Kevin, and have an awesome uh, May. Let's um, all knock on wood that lacrosse gets going this summer at some point. And um, best of luck to you. Thanks, Colleen. Thanks, guys.